This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. This is it, folks. This is the last episode of our nine-part RSA adventure. We have John Kindervog. He is the godfather of zero-trust networking. Brilliant, man. We talk about zero trust. We talk about the state of the union of cybersecurity. So many amazing nuggets in this episode. We even joke about bringing them on for a 10-part series. I'm totally not joking, John. If you want to come do that, let's do it. But if you like this episode, be sure to check out more episodes at hackervalley.studio. And as always, if you like what we're doing, support us on our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Hacker Valley Studio. Let's get to this awesome episode. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley Studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again. Final episode of today. We're here at RSA with a very special guest and actually colleague of mine, John Kindervog. Field CTO of Palo Alto Networks. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it, man. The man, the myth, the legend. (laughs) So everyone pretty much knows you as... The, the godfather of zero trust. How, how did that come about? You know, I was tasked when I was at Forrester Research. I spent four, eight and a half years at Forrester Research as a vice president and principal analyst there. And I was tasked starting in 2008 to figure out what's going wrong with cybersecurity. Why are all these bad things happening? And through, you know, through a series of events, because I'd been a security architect, I'd been a pen tester, I'd been a network engineer, through a series of events, I figured out that this thing that we have, this trust model, was the fundamental problem, right? You know, we had this saying, trust but verify, yep. right. right? And so I would talk to people, what's your cybersecurity strategy? Well, trust but verify. Well, okay. I get the trust part, which is I'm not going to do anything because once you're trusted, I'm, I'm certainly not going to do anything. What are you doing to verify it? And one CISO said to me, oh, well, I don't do anything to verify because they're trusted, that would be rude. And I realized these human analogs that, that we have being injected into digital systems were the problem. And in fact, you know, you would, you would ask, well, why do you do trust but verify? And people would say, Ronald Reagan said so, right? <laughs> and I would think, oh yeah, Ronald Reagan, that great cybersecurity expert yeah. told us to do Ronald. Yeah. Deep into cyber. <laughs> and and, and, and uh, he never said trust but verify. Oh, really? That's yeah. just a myth. Yeah. No. So yeah, you, when you do the primary research, and at Forrester, we taught, they taught us how to do primary research, you go back to the source, you go back to the YouTube clip, and Ronald Reagan says in 1987, 88, something like that, in a uh, speech about a nuclear disarmament treaty, I think, with Mikhail Gorbachev, he says, Mr. Gorbachev, you know, we're, th- we're excited that this is happening, but we're going to abide by that old Russian proverb. Dovernai, no provernai. And excuse my Russian, it's really poor. But and, he's, and he says, of course, that means r- trust but verify, and everybody laughs because mm-hmm. he's making a joke. Oh, right. Oh. Right? Yes. He's making a joke. Yeah. And the essence of trust, it, it might translate to those exact words in, uh, from Russian to English, but the essence is, I'm going to be looking over your shoulder, Gorbachev, all the time on this. Right. And nobody got the joke. Yeah. Right? right? And so we just adopted this thing, and it became, you know, you go back to this word trust which I've researched and researched and thought about. And, and all the way back in 1984, 
I think it was, and I could be wrong on the years, right, but I think it was 1984, Ken Thompson, the creator of Unix, his Turing Award speech was about the problem of trusting trust. It was the problem of trust. In 1984, he's already saying this thing that we think is the thing we want to get to, uh, where, where there's trusted users and trusted identities and TPM chips and this thing, trust this and trust that, right. is a problem. And when I realized that that was the fundamental problem, I realized I could invert the way we design networks and stuff like that. So that's how it came about, you know. And, of course, it's like anything. It's built on lots of research, lot, you know, standing on the shoulders of great mentors that I had over the years and, and people who would give me a nugget here and give me a nugget there. And somehow it just congealed because at the company I was working for, Forrester, you know, you were you were incentivized to think really far outside the box. And I don't think I could have done it anywhere else. So I'm very grateful for that opportunity I had at Forrester Research and all the great mentors and leaders and the people that I worked with and the people who are still very close friends of mine there. Wow, that's a a great story. And I think one of the most interesting parts is, you know, you, you started this research so long ago. This has been research that you've put out. It's been out there for years. And I feel like this year is the most that I've ever heard about Zero Trust. Yeah. I'm sure it's going to be more next year. What do you think enabled that conversation to start happening and us to kind of think about trust differently? So the first Zero Trust speech was, in a, was on a golf course in Montreal in 2008. Mm. And so it's been a long journey. And for a number of years, you know, there were people who thought I was literally certifiably insane. Right. (laughs) That's not the way we've always done things, they would say. And I'd say, well, the way we've always done things have worked out so well for us. Right. (laughs) But also there was enough critical mass where I had been doing the work in real life in the field at Forrester. When I left Forrester at the at the beginning of 2007, I had worked on the designs of probably 40 or so zero trust networks around the world. And so a lot most of them I can't tell you about. I can't talk to you about. Right. But it got around that these things were happening. Yeah. And uh, then the, the, the pivotal event was September 7th, 2016. That was the date of the OPM breach report from the Oversight and Government Reform Committee of the United States House of Representatives. Yeah. And on page 20, <laughs> I can remember the page number. Wow. They said, you know, the, we recommend that OMB tells all government agencies to adopt zero trust. Ah. Wow. And that became the pivotal moment. And so... I went to the company I'm at now because independently of me, my customers were choosing the company you and I work for right. to, to be the backbone of those zero trust environments. And so my customers chose my next job for me, which ah, was really cool. Amazing. Yeah. So they, they you know, I, I knew what was going to work. I knew who, who was going to support it. And so the last three years, I think a lot of people had, you know, that was the compelling event. A lot of people misunderstand the concepts of zero trust. They yeah. try to make it very tactical, very product-oriented. It's a strategy. The company I work for now, Palo Alto Networks, has never once asked me to spin the message to meet a product mm-hmm, idea. Right. And so that's what I like about it is the integrity of, yeah. that I've been able to keep to the message. Obviously, you, you have to have an immense amount of pride to see something that you sort of started to champion you know, years ago come to the forefront of, of our our daily cybersecurity. You know, it's, it's gratifying, but it's very humbling. Yeah. Right? Because I'm just an engineer. I'm just a, a guy who used to install firewalls. And so that, 
that's gratifying, but it's humbling too. And, you know, I think it was eventually something that had to happen because the models that we had up until then were were never going to work because they were designed before there were threats. Right. So of course they couldn't keep out the threats, and you know a lot of it is luck. You come around at the right time at the right at the right place, but it's very gratifying to to see that it, and it's kind of embarrassing sometimes too, right? I mean, I, I was stopped on the street a couple times coming here for selfies, and it's like that is so weird. It <laughs> freaks my wife out, right? When, yeah. when it happens in front of her, she's like, "No, he's just the guy who takes out the trash on Wednesday nights, right?" Yeah. So. Is there anything in the the environment or in our community that kind of like upsets you about how people use zero trust or try to like get well, on the bandwagon? Yeah, just to spin it as a product. If you buy product X, you're going to have a zero trust environment. No, that's not true. Mm-hmm. There are no zero trust products. Right. There are products that work well in zero trust environments, but there are no zero trust products. So if you if somebody tells you there's a zero trust product then they don't understand it. The other thing that that irks me is when people say the goal of zero trust is to make a system trusted. That's not true. The goal of zero trust is to make, uh, to take the word trust, the idea of trust out of digital systems. Mm -hmm. So I would say trust is a four letter word. My clients, I I ask them to to create a a trust jar, right? Do you remember? I, I don't know if, you know, I kind of had a little problem as a kid and so <laughs> i had to put a dollar every time i said a bad word right. into a jar yeah. yeah well every time you say the word trust as a good thing you put a dollar into the jar and then you take everybody out for drinks yeah. because it's always bad in digital systems always 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 and people confuse it and they say oh john you're saying people aren't trustworthy and i'm not saying that i'm saying something completely different and actually more profound i'm saying people aren't packets right, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. No person has ever been on a network. And, and this anthropomorphization, the idea that John is on the network. I've never been on a network, ever, mm-hmm. right? I've never shrunken down into a subatomic particle where I've been transferred via RF <laughs> to a wireless access point and rode the, 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 the public Internet to some server or something. That's mm-hmm. never happened to me, right? Uh, even in the movies, it's happened in Tron and Lawnmower Man and a couple things. But even in, even in Ma- the Matrix, they got to plug in, right? Yeah. Right? right. So, so this is the thing. It's not about people at all. It's about understanding what is really important. Packets, zeros and ones as represented by electrons and photons. That's our entire world. Yeah. Whether those electrons and photons are going to a public cloud, a private cloud, an endpoint, a d- physical data center, it just doesn't matter. They're still a packet. And because TCP IP made the world flat, it gives us an ability to really make a difference if we think outside of the world of, of our physical analog domains. Right. What are some other things that you're thinking of today? Like what, what kind of things are you very interested in when it comes to really anything in cybersecurity? It could be leadership or it could be more technology. What are some of your focus areas today? Well, you know, I, I ran at the Data Security and Privacy Playbook at Forrester, so I'm very, I'm very much still into data security, privacy, how we can do classification better, how we can do DLP better, how we can really leverage encryption. It's a really important thing that we have to do. We need more and more encryption. We can never, you know, the idea that we can have safe backdoors in encryption, I think, is just totally, <laughs> totally insane. I think other things that I'm working on are different ideas of risk. I think, I think we, risk is another word that we transferred from analog worlds to, to the computer world, and I don't think it works very well, right? right. I mean, we can't do, you can't do predictive 
risk analytics. You can't say that there's a high probability that somebody's going to attack me because the, the attackers are always directly connected to you. So they, they, they have proximity to you. They have the tools and techniques they need to attack you. So what's the one thing that's going to keep them from trying to attack you? Their will, their willingness to do it. And so we have to be always in a defensive posture. And I look at risks, that term risk, I you, you look at it as danger, right? We try to assign probabilities to things. Nah, probabilities don't work. I learned that from my nephew. He was four years old. He got neuroblastoma cancer. They told us he had a 2% chance of living. He's 11 now. Mm-hmm. Wow. Percentages don't determine the future, right? Mm-hmm. And in, 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 in our world, we can't say that, that, that there's that likelihood, that word likelihood just doesn't work for me. Yeah. Right. And we see that in big data breaches where somebody refused to patch something because if the patch is bad, we might be down for an hour and we can calculate the cost of being down for an hour, but we can't calculate the cost of not doing the patch because it might lead to a massive data breach and the CEO being fired. Yeah. One, one thing that, that makes me think of is what we were talking about right before we got on the podcast, and that's cybersecurity as a way to make the world a better place. And I, and I couldn't agree with you more because one of the, the things that pushes me personally is you know closing the skills gap, getting more people into cybersecurity because I want my daughters to not have to deal with the headaches that I deal with on the Internet today. So what, what is on the forefront of your mind when it comes to you know, cybersecurity making the world better? So there's a couple of things. One is, we, uh, we were talking right before here, we need to understand that cybersecurity is the only business that's adversarial, right? Other businesses have, have competitors, like this retail store competes with this retail store, this bank competes with that bank. But cybersecurity, we're the only business that has adversaries. The only other place you find adversaries is in armies and right. nation states. Right. So we're, we have adversaries. And so the, the game is completely changed when you have adversaries against competitors. Mm-hmm. And, and those adversaries want to do really bad things to us. Steal sensitive data, steal intellectual property, bring us down and make us unoperational, right? Yep. They may try to kill us. I was just having this conversation here just a few minutes ago about how you could you know, conceivably hack medical devices and kill somebody. Right. Right? That's, uh, you know... Bruce Schneier talks about those as movie plot scenarios, but they're true. They're real. And so we're in an adversarial business. The other thing that, that I think we need to get away from is focusing on cybersecurity cyber awareness training. Mm. I'm, a big, I'm a big, what's the opposite of proponent? Detractor? Unproponent. Opponent? Opponent. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I would say that you need to take every dollar you spend on cyber awareness training and spend it on proactive security because it's never going to work, right? We, we right. want to blame the victims for everything bad that happens. We say, oh, man, dude, you clicked on a bad link. Even though you've clicked on millions of good links in your career right, yep. and we trained you to click on, a, on, a good, <laughs> on, on, on links, you clicked on that one bad link so you're a bad person and we right. blame the victims. Yeah. But this isn't how we do it in this Think about this building. When you walked in this building, did you walk around it to make sure, oh, I hope the, the structure is, right. is there? Yeah. You know, did they use the right size bolts up it, there? It could have been a trap on the way yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because we've designed the system for it to be safe for the average user. Mm-hmm. And so technology can do that. 
we, we can do anti-fishing better technologically than a human being could ever do. I look at when we get uh, fishing tests, and I look at the header, and I'm like, all I can tell you is about this. I don't know whether that, that link is good or bad. I can't, I, all I can tell you is that you opened up a rule through the anti-fishing technology to allow it to come in. Right. Mm-hmm. So what's the point, right? Yeah. And so I really hate the blame the victims mentality that a lot of people have. And so that would be one thing that, that I would want to get rid of because you go back to Hammurabi, right? In Hammurabi's code, if a building falls down on somebody and kills somebody, the guy who gets punished is the builder, mm-hmm. right? right? So we have to build secure systems. That's our job. And, and, and it has to be a job, you know, that's, that's incentivized from the top down. No one would, you know, you see this in buildings. This is a great example. In, in, in New Orleans, the casino, one of the casinos they were building just fell down because they were cutting corners and not following the rules. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot of lawsuits and people are probably going to go to jail because there was a correct way to build a building, but we want to cut some corners and take some money out of it and whatever, right. and it fell down. Wow. I think that's an interesting point, and I think it kind of goes back to, being a craftsman at what you do, like, and, and enabling others to be craftsmen. What are your thoughts on like the craftsmanship in cybersecurity? Do you feel like it's there today, or do you still feel like we have a long way to go with hope uh, at the end of the road? No, I mean, I think it, it, it's there. It's available. We have so many great people in this business. You know, Dan Gear says that cybersecurity is the world's most, how does he put it, intellectually challenging business, right? So really smart people are, are attracted to this business. And it's a fun business to be in. Mm-hmm. It's the most fun part of IT. And IT is fun because we get to nerd out. I right. mean, that's why we, we <laughs> join. Well, that's why we're in this business because yeah. somewhere down the line, we're all a, a bunch of nerds and geeks. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we, we relish in that. But so we got a lot of good people. But, you know, you have a lot of people defining policies, laws, who don't really understand how computers work. Mm-hmm. And I think it'll get better over time as as... The older generation, my generation, I mean, I'm a really old guy, right? I'm 92 in billable hours, actually. <laughs> uh, I believe that. <laughs> but uh, as my generation times out and, and, and digital natives come in and they understand this stuff more intuitively, I mean, we've got to teach them t- how networks work, right? right we, yeah. And how a packet works. And it's not all DevOps. I mean, shout out to Gene Kim. He's a friend of mine. But it, it, everything isn't around DevOps. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still a packet has to move from point A to point B. But... But I think there's a new generation coming who can understand this and understand how integral it is to businesses, right? Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, you had a paper ticket to fly on an airplane, and it was written out by hand. Mm-hmm. Today, if I, I can be at an airport, we can be sitting on the plane. We have a plane. We have pilots. We have passengers, the three Ps of the airline business. But if the computer system isn't working, that plane can't get off the ground. Absolutely. Yeah. So this is integral to every business. We can't think of it as, oh, it's just the IT people, right? It's just the IT people. That used to be the, 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 the view of the world. No, the IT people are, are the glue to the business. The business doesn't run without us. Yeah. No, great points. I think it's excellent. And the one thing you kind of touched on is the next generation. What is the one thing that you would want to, to leave behind for the next generation or, or talk about for people to be thinking about in the next 10, 20 years? Well, if you're a young person, it's a great career, mm-hmm. right? It's fun. I, you know, my son switched from pre-med to 
computer science. Amazing. And became a security engineer and worked for Chase Cunningham, who I know uh, you just had yep. on the podcast. Yeah. Chase is an old, old friend of mine. And so I, I think it's a great career for people. It's always going to be there. I don't imagine that we're going to ever get so good at this that there won't be threats. I mean, that's just how humanity has worked. Uh, and, and because it's adversarial, every time we do something, the, the adversary is going to do something to counteract that, right? Mm-hmm. And I had one, one CISO complain to me, and he said, it's not fair. You know, they only have to find one way to get in, and we have to protect everything. Yeah. And my answer was, yes. Yeah. It's not fair. If you think it's going to be <laughs> fair, then there's probably other businesses you should be in. Yeah. Right? But if you want to make a difference in the world for generation upon generation upon generation, then this is a business, one of the businesses you th- should think about choosing. Yes. We, we often have a lot of times when someone asks us, like, how do I break into security? With, with all of the wisdom that you have, what's a nice way to start on just areas to think about when it comes to security, whether you're in technology or maybe pre-med hoping to break your way into technology? Yeah, so, you know, I think there's a lot more of good technical degrees that you can get, you know, computer science, networking, whatever those things are. But this is on-the-job training. You know, everybody who I've ever known who's really, really good at this learned how to do it on the job. So get Mm -hmm. a job, get an internship. You know, we work at companies where we're looking for people, right? Mm -hmm. We we have a shortage of people. We have an internship program to hire. You come to work as an intern, you're going to get paid, and then if you're good at it, we're going to keep you around because we don't want you to, for, to let you go and let him have you, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? Absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the same thing is true for Netflix, right? right? So whatever those things are, if you have a passion for it, the, the, the business will find you. You know, there, there's no one path to it. I know all kinds of amazing people. I was just with a friend of mine who's well-known, and you know, he engineered rap recordings back in the 90s, mm. right? Mm. And, you know, so he was telling me a funny story about uh, hanging out with Public Enemy. And so, mm. and if you looked at him, you would not think that this guy ever uh, even knew what <laughs> rap was or hip-hop or whatever is the correct term. Right. But you, 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 your passion will help you find the right place, and the, the place will look for your passion. Love it. John, thank you so much. This has been an outstanding conversation. We really appreciate you coming on to the show, taking some of your precious time to, to speak with us. Hey, man. Always For- fun to talk about this. I could I could talk about cybersecurity all day long, which drives my wife completely crazy. <laughs> well, so. then let's, let's set it up now. It's going to be a 10-part episode <laughs> with John. Uh, <laughs> but, no, thank you so much. What are some ways that if people want to read more about who you are, stay in touch with you, stay up to date with you, what, what can they do to do that? So, you know, I have the traditional social media stuff at Kindervog on Twitter. My name is easy to find. I can't hide, right? I don't have a a very rare name. Mm -hmm. So I'm easy to find. Palo Alto Networks, we have zero trust information on our website. Anytime we do anything new, I tend to post it on social media so you can see that. I'll be posting our case study on how we do uh, zero Trust at Palo Alto Networks. We just published that case study. So as soon as I get back from RSA, I'll, I'll, 
I'll send that on so, out on social media. So we we drink our own champagne, as they say in France. <laughs> Absolutely. You <Nice>. know? <laughs> uh, I was once in Paris, and I said something about eating our own dog food, and they said, no, 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 it's much more elegant if you drink your own champagne. So I love it. Yeah. I love, I'm, I'm using that from now on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, so, so it's all about messaging. So, yeah, that, that's where you can find me. You know, I travel around the world, so I'll be coming to a city near you, probably whoever you are. So 220 days on the road last year. Ooh, that yeah. is. So I would like to ride on your, your private plane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I had one, you'd be invited. But uh, no, I, I, I mean, what I love about this job is I could get to meet some of the most fascinating people in the world and work on some of the most fascinating projects and do things that help make everybody safe a little bit more tomorrow than they were today. Yeah. And if you can have a mission-centric mindset on that, then you can feel good about what you did. You know, I meet a lot of people who, who are very successful, but they kind of don't feel g- good about what they did. It didn't give them fulfillment. Yeah. And cybersecurity is a business that you can get that personal fulfillment as well as financial security and, 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 and professional success. You heard it from John Kindervog. Come to cybersecurity, you're going to be satisfied for sure. So thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see everyone next time.